He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast being brought to you today on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner on the two-man power trip, the one and only JP John Paz. And on this show, like we've done for 93 weeks previously and into episode 94, we welcome in our co-host, the one and only franchise Shane Douglas. Shane, we're closing the book on one era of the Triple Threat Podcast and opening up another one, but nonetheless, welcome to episode 94. Oh, it's hard to believe it's gone by that fast. I think it's, uh, you know, and, and pretty cool to be doing it right here on uh, Vince Russo's The Brand on the Realm Network. So let's launch it. This is numero uno. So what we're doing is this is, yes, this is the first episode we are sending to the brand, but this is also the final episode that'll be available on the triple, uh, excuse me, on the two-man power trip of wrestling's feed. So before we move over to the brand, we're going to give you one more of Ask Franchise Anything so we can kind of entice you to move over with us because we just tested it out tonight. We got it all ready to go. We will be on video and we will be looking only as good as we can look. The Triple Threat Podcast going uh, high tech. John and I just tested it out. It's going to be great, Shane. We're going to roll that out next week, and that will really be the first official New Blood era. Funny, Vince Russo, New Blood era, Shane Douglas, New Blood era, of the Triple Threat Podcast. Uh, Well, see, the reason we can't do video tonight is I didn't realize we were going to be doing video tonight or had forgotten, so I still have rollers in my hair, uh, the house coat, pink house coat, slippers, so I'm not really the uh, telegenic franchise tonight, but next week we'll be live on video and I, in all my black and gold glory. <laughs> I cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to add such a different dynamic to the show. And, you know, we get to see some of those facial expressions of the franchise uh, in a more, you know, relaxed uh, foundation. You know, you get to be on your own home turf 
And this seems to be the way podcasts are going these days. I mean, everybody is on video. And, you know, like we talked about last weekend, you know, the way Vince Russo does it on the brand. And there's the video element mixed with the audio element. You know, it's really changed the way people consume their content and their and their media. You can do it while you're listening. Or you can do it while you're watching. It really seems like uh, things are changing in the podcast world. Yeah, no question about it. But, you know, the, uh, the whole video format, I get, you know, you probably wouldn't think so, but I get really nervous in front of cameras, especially <laughs> when I don't have like a teleprompter to read off of or, or uh, somebody telling me what to say or going over for six hours. So I'll just try to do my best and wing it. <laughs> <laughs> so now what we're going to do on this episode is Ask Franchise Anything. And what we do with Ask Franchise Anything is we solicit the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip and the Triple Threat Podcast to send in questions for Shane Douglas and for the franchise and to answer whatever you got. I mean, we don't hold anything back. We're not censoring any questions that come in. Whatever you want to ask, we're going to throw it at the franchise. And you will see this if you're listening to us for the first time on the brand going forward. The Shane Douglas that you've known and loved for many, many years, he's the he's the same guy that you get every single week on this podcast. And Shane, I mean, you can attest to it. We've probably done about a dozen Ask Franchise Anything episodes, and you know the fans come uh, fully equipped, and they throw some damn good questions at us, and uh, you've never held back a damn thing. No, for, for, for the most part of what I can remember after all those chair shots, but <laughs> so you know, in, in full disclosure for everybody, uh, you guys are the ones that collect the, uh, the questions. I've not seen any of the questions up front. Uh, I get asked them as you're listening to it, I'm hearing it for the first time. So, you know, it's been what, several months since we've done an Ask Franchise Anything. Yeah, it's been quite a while. And that's why they, the questions were kind of backlogged. But we also got a ton of new fresh stuff, which is always cool because sometimes you kind of borrow from both. And even though we would do Ask, Fris- Ask Franchise Anything on every show, we've had so much to talk about as of late. It's had to get cut yeah. at the last minute. And sometimes we, we have it ready to go. And sometimes it's like, well, we know – we're not going to get through it. And if we didn't have this episode planned for the last week that we didn't get to, we obviously probably wouldn't have time to get to it today because there's so much going on in the uh, in the wrestling world. And before we get into the questions, we just want to ask you quickly, coming off the StarCast weekend, like when I caught you for a couple minutes uh, last Saturday, it was busy. There was a lot of stuff going on. Kind of recap, if you can, the weekend. And if you did get a chance to see any of the pay-per-view from Saturday night, the uh, the AEW inaugural pay-per-view. Well, I hadn't been able to see in the video yet. Uh, I've read, you know, some of the feedback, and, uh, you know, I, of course, spoke to uh, Jerry Lynn, uh, one of the agents uh, for AEW, uh, and uh, Moose, you know, my agent manager was there. Uh, you know, heard, you know, a lot of pretty positive stuff, and the stuff that I'm reading uh, online. Uh, like, my takeaway from the whole weekend was, you know, the fans heard me talk about this for years. Uh, but now, you know, once you see the proof validating what you said, uh, the energy and the Caesars Palace for the convention part of it, uh, you know, where they had, you know, some rooms set up like the NWO and Bret Hart, uh, uh, Art Anderson, and Rock and Roll Express, and they had the, the larger convention room. The energy in the fan base was uh, astounding. Uh, aside from the sheer volume of fans, uh, it was clearly abund- uh, you know, abundantly clear, I should say. Uh, with my uh, my dyslexia kicking in there. Uh, 
but it's abundantly clear that the fans have been clamoring for something different, uh, eager to see something different. And by all accounts, they got that on Saturday night, uh, you know, including the uh, epic match between Cody and, and uh, uh, Dustin. You know, so I, I think it was a, a, a great beginning for a new company. Some are saying it might be the best match of Dustin Rhodes' career, and that is saying a lot. <laughs> and you've been in the ring with oh, him, yeah. and you've been friends with him for 30 years, so you know that for somebody to say that, that's going out on, on quite the limb. But, I mean, he lost a pint of blood. You know, it was a, a story that was being told in the match. We talk about storytelling. We talk about selling. And in these two guys, for being brothers, they kicked each other's ass, and then at the end were able to give the old big hug and, you know, the tribute to Dusty and – that's what you know. Wrestling is definitely made of, and that whole weekend you could feel it in the air that something was changing. But you know, hey, I guess the uh, the ch- it's chapter one, you know. And what will they do with chapter two? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, you, the, the, the inauguration of any company promotion is always a big deal. Uh, very imperative that it's done right. They they cleared that hurdle, right? I mean, they by all accounts had a, a, a great event. Uh, had great turnout and great feedback on it. Now, uh, you know, let's see what they come up with for round two. Uh, I love the way that they fed right out of uh, the main event with Cody and, and uh, Dustin into the next show. Uh, you know, imagine that, actually a storyline that continues from one show to the next. Revolutionary. You know, what a great idea. So somebody should have done that before. <laughs> and I say that with oozing sarcasm because we've seen another promotion uh, that has seemingly forgotten that, uh, you know, wanting to make their show from what I've been told and heard, uh, every show a standalone show. So if you didn't watch last week or the last event and you don't watch next week or the next event, it doesn't matter. Each one stands up on its own. And that sounds great, you know, as a pitch point. But we wrestling fans, we marks in this business, know how important it is to have that storyline continue on. I mean, I, you know, Moose and I were talking uh, about Sabu and Taz. You know, when Sabu had, had missed uh, because he was in Japan, uh, uh, a pretty important tag team match between those two. Uh, now, you know, by today's standards of the other company, uh that would have been rushed to a pay-per-view within two, three weeks and blown off and gone on to something else. Instead, that angle took, uh, I think it was about 15 months from the time Sabu was in Japan and was supposed to be in ECW arena until barely legal when they stood in the ring and stared at each other for what seemed an hour. Uh, but during the entire time they did that, I mean, the hairs on your arm were standing up. And the reason for that was the the week-to-week, month-to-month overall total of the, the storyline, each tiny piece building anticipation to the next piece and building more anticipation and more and more until those two stood face-to-face. Uh, AEW seems like they've got their finger on that pulse, and, and I, for one, as a, as a person who loves professional wrestling, Notice I didn't say sports entertainment. Uh, that's what I want to see in my wrestling. They did a great job. Now, I mean, I'm not going to fully, you know, kiss their uh, their fannies and say it was great because there's stuff that, you know, I had seen that was pretty ridiculous and stupid. And, 
you know, it was bad, a bad effort, you know, even for WWE standards, it was pretty, uh, pretty lame, but I want to welcome in the resident, uh, wrestling aficionado, uh, the guy who's got his ear to the ground and the guy who knows what's going on in that, uh, day-to-day world of these, uh, young bucks, pun intended. JP, what'd you think of the show? Obviously, you know, you were, uh, taking a pretty good look at everything. So what's, uh, what's your take on this AEW offering? I'll say as a whole, it was pretty good. I think for the most part, it did hit on a lot of good points and a lot of uh, good cylinders, if you will. But there was some missteps. I thought the Battle Royal was so predictable, and I thought that almost every spot in it was a misstep. And I think if you're a maybe more of an old-school fan, like obviously Chad and myself are, you kind of were like you know raising an eyebrow to some of the stuff that was going on in the Battle Royal. So... And I know technically it wasn't on the show, I guess, you know, it was on the pre-show, but uh, I just felt like the Battle Royal kind of was a flop. Um, Adam Page winning was very, very obvious given the issues with Pac and him not being there. So I thought that was predictable. But it, in the more positive aspect, Cody versus Dustin was awesome. I liked uh, Jericho versus Omega. Obviously, John Moxley debuting was great as far as a great surprise and that big name that you're stealing from the WWF, who or excuse me, WWE, who has no interest in WWE anymore and kind of came over. Obviously, his contract, not really stealing, his contract was up. But you know what I mean? In this kind of interpromotional war, when you take guys, it, it does make you seem more big time and it does make you seem more important. But I'm just thinking this, and, and just, just throwing this out there, because Shane, I know you like John Moxley, aka Dean Ambrose, but pushing him as mm-hmm. a big, big star and a main eventer. I don't know. Could be a misstep. I, I, to be honest, I don't see it. Jericho, yes. Omega, yes. Cody, yes. Dustin, of course, as main event guys, and obviously Young Bucks throw them in the hat too. But I don't know about Moxley. I know he was a main eventer in WWE, but I just don't know if he is that guy in that spot. What do you think? Well, I, you know, first of all, like, take a step back. I think AEW does themselves a disservice. Uh, because giving the guy that comes over from the other company the automatic top, you know, one of the top spots, you know, it, it's sort of an admission, uh, you know, that you're the you're in the junior league to, mm. to that other company. Uh, you know, if you go from, uh, you know, company A to company B, and company B has you elevated before you've done anything there, based solely off of your experience in promotion A. You know, it's sort of a, 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 a wink and a nod by the second promotion that uh, that they see that other company as the major league. Uh, I, I, if I were doing it, would have brought it in with the fanfare uh, and made him work his way up. In other words, show the world that coming into AEW ain't going to be a cakewalk, and just because you're from that other promotion doesn't mean you're guaranteed any spot. Uh, you know, Moxley clearly could clear that hurdle. You know, but imagine the momentum he would build along the way of getting over each of those hurdles to where he's finally standing there six months, eight months down the road, a year down the road, standing there and saying, hey, you made me work my way here. Now I'm on the top of the mountain. Somebody knocked me off. Uh, but, you know, teach his own and, and, and you know, uh, you know, some like vanilla, some like chocolate. I happen to like pistachio. So, uh but, you know, I, I see why they did that. Um, but the curiosity I had about that was, uh, unless things have changed there, 
Uh, doesn't the WWE always have 90-day no-compete clauses in their contracts? Or no, not not in the not in this case because uh, his contract lapsed, so his contract completely ran out. Uh, no dates uh, left, nothing like that. So he was free and clear. So he was able to basically jump immediately. Same with Dustin as well. A lot of people are saying that, but his contract was up, so he was free and clear. He can go wherever he wanted. Well, then then that makes me curious as to why Vince didn't stooge it. You know, like. Uh... If, if, if I'm, you know, if I've got you under contract and it's lapsed, and you know, because the buildup into that show was, is he going to be there? Isn't he? Is he going to re-sign with WWE or isn't he? Um, you know, Vince must have known, you know, had a pretty good inkling that he wasn't going to be, and that he didn't stooge it. You know, it was, hey, maybe it was a little gift from Vince to uh, the AEW that he didn't stooge it. Uh, you know, and, and honestly, he would have gained nothing from it. Uh, other than you know, the, the competitive factor that we know uh, uh, certain Irishmen and Stanford, Connecticut seems to have. Uh, but, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I think there's a there's a, a gene or an atom somewhere in Vince's body where he wants to see AEW succeed to some degree because, you know, the old saying, a rising tide rises all ships. And we know, that being the fans that we are and having been around the business as long, as we have been, uh, that, you know, Vince's show is awful for a reason. It's had nothing to compete with. It's had nothing to, to push it. You know, I, I've said it a million times here in other interviews, uh, you know, Vince is a formidable son of a bitch when he's pressed. And, you know, maybe he's trying to, you know, give them a little bit of a nudge to, to, to reignite those fires in, inside his belly eye. You know, it seems counter to the, to the Vince that we seem to all know, but uh, I'm just really curious as to why he didn't stoop that off when he knew that Moxley was not going to uh, sign. Um, but good that he didn't. You know, it certainly helped AEW. <laughs> well, I think next week we're going to cover the uh, the Dean Ambrose, aka John Moxley, appearance on uh, Chris Jericho's Talk Is Jericho podcast. If you recall, the CM Punk with Colt Cabana. Uh, podcast that ended up being a, a part of a legal uh, snafu between yeah. Punk and WWE. Well, Moxley and Jericho uh, just released this scathing <laughs> look into Am- Ambrose slash Moxley's last year with WWE. Shane, I think you you find it to be very interesting, <laughs> and I think that's what we'll cover next week because it's worth getting you the clips and kind of the transcripts, and also as we move to the videos. <laughs> Love to see some of those facial yeah. expressions when we tell you some of the stuff that uh, Ambrose had to say. And uh, I can only keep saying over and over today after I listened to it, it was uh, <laughs> Ambrose or Moxley. I'm going to call him Ambrose for a while, so I apologize if that annoys anybody. But he kept saying good shit. Like Vince would say, that's some good shit. That's some good shit. So I just that, that made me laugh all day. So when we get to yeah. these these quotes, I think you'll find it to be uh, very funny. But let's dig into it now. You ready? You ready to do a little last franchise anything? Yeah, let me see. Let me take a little shot of whiskey here and wake myself up. And, uh, got it. Ready to go. All right. See, this is a perfect one to kick us off because this also involves a fellow brand uh, host. And that is your boy, Stevie Richards. So Travis Smith. AKA at two sweet 4285 hashtag ask franchise anything. 
I don't recall any triple threat versus BWO action ever taking place in ECW. Was there? If not, what if? Uh, no, there wasn't. Um, but, you know, at that time, the way the BWO was, they were sort of the, uh, the comic relief on the show. I did a phenomenal job with that. And, uh, you know, Paul felt strongly, and I agree with him, that, uh, you know, there were some pretty heady, pretty heavy uh, uh, angles at times. And, you know, with all the carnage that was in ECW and violence and all that, I think, you know, by, you know, seeing them come out like dressed as Kiss or, uh, you know, the, the different litany of characters they came out and played uh, was so perfect. Uh, it, it alleviated some of the tension and pressure, but it also gave the fans a great laugh. And it fit into ECW. Uh, <laughs> As odd as that sounds, it's so dichotomous to everything else you typically see in ECW. Uh, the what-if part, uh, I think, would have been fantastic. You know, we've all seen Stevie develop into a hell of a worker. Uh, uh, Meany uh, was, you know, for as big as he was and the way he could move, uh, you know, set up the right way, uh, you could do some really good stuff with that. You know, and then, like, see him and Bam Bam, you know, uh, you know, just the, the possibility there. You know, we all know how Scott could move, and uh, Meany, of course, the same way. And then Nova, you know, was, uh, you know, never really I thought given a chance. But when he wanted to go, was was given those opportunities on house shows and and in other territories, uh, promotions, I should say. Uh, you know, did a pretty damn good job with it. So I think there would have been a lot of uh, good matches out of that, and a lot of fun. But I think Paul at that time was was keeping a triple threat like way at the apex, you know, at the very peak because the world champion was in it and, you know, Bam Bam's history and everybody knew Candido and, uh, you know, they were, uh, they were just two different trains and different tracks. Uh, but I, I think it would have been a hell of a lot of fun uh, to do with that. You know, imagine, you know, Bam Bam, you know, getting a ton of heat up on one of them and, you know, giving the, giving the tag to say meaning them coming in and throwing that meanie salt around uh you know it, it would have been a lot of fun hmm. yeah it would have been a lot of fun and especially you know you and candido we've talked about it before at uh one of those halloween shows uh that you guys dressed up in your former uh wwf gimmicks that could have been a good counterplay for the uh the the, the wcw slash nwo inspired bwo but yeah <laughs> not a lot of interactions uh between you guys i, I won't even think the uh, one of my favorite ECW matches of all time, the King of the Hill Battle Royal, at the end of '96. Uh, I think you were gone by the time the BWO even hit the ring there. So any time you guys would have touched, it seemed like you just missed each other. Yeah, they, uh, you know, like I said, they were you know, at that time when the uh, Triple Threat was rolling pretty hot. Uh, Raven was using them as what he called his dog and pony show. You know, so like when he wanted to take a breather in the match, they would get involved and you know, do all their stuff, uh, you know, and, and, you know, did a fantastic job with it. Uh, you know, they, they, it's funny that, you know, today looking back and you have, we've already got in our heads, you know, what, you know, what they all look like currently and have looked like through the course of their careers. Uh, but, you know, Stevie Richard, you go back and look at that skinny, long hair kid that, you know, didn't look like he was ever going to, really grow into anything other than the BWO seemed to be like, that was going to be the peak of his career. And he moves beyond that. 
gets in incredible shape, uh, you know, really hones his craft. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's that thing that I've always said, that, that intangible, that X factor. You know, when it's so easy to look at, like, say, a young, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Shane Douglas and say, oh, he's nothing but a middle-of-the-card white meat baby face. And then, you know, later, you know, a couple of years down the road, there's this cut the fucking music and, you know, just incredibly uh, acerbic uh, promos coming out. Memories crashing in. Well, wait, this is Ricky Steamboat's partner? Uh, <laughs> same thing with Stevie Richards. You know, that, uh, you know, at that time, you know, in the, in, the, in the moment in ECW, when you looked at him, I don't think anybody, me included, could look and say, what Stevie Richards was going to develop into, and kudos to him. But that X factor, getting that fire in the belly, that you know, when somebody you you get in your head or you hear somebody saying, you know, things like I, you know, more than a middle of the car white meat baby face with a comic relief in ECW or whatever, and you know you've got a lot more to offer. Uh, it's just nobody will give you the opportunity. Uh, you know, kudos to Stevie for having that that intestinal fortitude to go out and do that. You know, it's uh, it would have been easy for him to fall into that uh, that role and you know make a living with that. Uh, there would have been, I'm sure, as uh, much interest uh, to to do that character because it had been so iconic in ECW. Uh, just to keep on keeping on with that character, and instead he went out and, and, and took a very different path and you know charted a hell of a uh, future for himself post ECW. So, congrats to him. And he's in amazing shape, and he's changing people's lives with his uh, resistance bands and going to be very happy to be sharing some uh, airspace with Stevie. That is for damn sure. Uh, So, all right, let's move on to the next question here. This is from David Levenstein, a.k.a. at the Nature Boy one This one is definitely uh, (laughs) – this one you got to use your noodle for and think really uh, a lot of factors would have to really play in uh, succession. If Paul Heyman – was able to put a pay-per-view in the Spectrum or, say, Madison Square Garden or even the Capitol Center, could it have worked in keeping the company viably financially? <laughs> uh, I, I doubt it. Uh, you know, the, the, finance, the finances of ECW by the end, uh, like I've talked about this before, by the time we, we being the boys, uh, became aware of the problems, you know, the bounce checks. Like in my case, uh, like I've talked about this again before, you know, Paul had previously fallen back in checks and always made up for it. Uh, you know, so I didn't panic initially until it started getting, you know, to an untenable number. Um, and I think by the, that time, I mean, I guess it would all depend on the timing, like when Paul would have been able to put that show together. Had he been able to do that early enough, uh, you know, it may have altered the, the, the course for ECW, if not permanently, to some extent. Uh, but a little known tidbit is that there was discussion of that kind of a So uh, to respond to Rick's concern about whether or not we could be trusted, uh, I suggested a, th- a series of three matches, uh, the first being in Charlotte, uh, where I would do the job for him. Uh, so he drew first blood. Uh, the second would be in Pittsburgh, where he would reciprocate in 1-1. Now for the rubber match, going to the Spectrum to do a pay-per-view 
uh, he wanted, I think it was 100 or 150,000 for the one match, which was might have been $150 million for ECW. That was way out of our league at that time to be able to afford to pay. But my thinking was do a, a triumvirate of matches instead of being a pay-per-view and give him, you know, 10, 20% of the, of the house or the buy rate or both, whatever. Uh, so there was thought at one time, but as soon as he resigned, about doing the Spectrum, a Spectrum show uh, for Philadelphia and ECW, but as soon as he resigned with uh, WCW, that, that sort of mixed that whole idea, and uh, he never returned to the idea of doing something largely like that. I, I think Paul, and, and even under, you know, understandably so, was enamored with the ECW arena. You know, the, the, the vibe in that building was so electric, and it was so ECW, you know. It was, uh, you know, Paul would always wanted the show to look and feel like the, the television show cops. You know, there was a sense of urgency. The camera, that's why we only used two cameras. Uh, you know, Charlie uh, Brzezzi, the you know, greatest uh, handheld guy in the business. Uh, you know, he, they, Paul wanted him to have to give that same look as on cops where the guy jump out of the back seat and the camera running behind the perp, that kind of thing. That's, that was the vibe that Paul once went for, uh, created with BCW and ECW Arena, uh, delivered that. So I don't think beyond the, that potential flare match that never happened, that there was ever a, a return to revisit the idea of doing something larger in Philadelphia. Partly out of fear that, you know, what happens if we don't sell it out, uh, See, the problem for ECW, like the same thing we had on Pittsburgh for the 97 pay-per-view, if I'm going to remember, was as the size of the company we were, there we didn't have a mechanism in place to gauge, uh, at least very accurately, how that show was going to do. Uh, like in November, November 97, we knew it was going to do well. We had no idea of sellout. Uh, but we also, you know, turning away thousands of people, they couldn't fit into the building once the fire chief cut it off, um, the, uh, the fire marshal, rather. And, you know, so I think there was always that little bit of a concern, which in hindsight seemed absurd. But at the time, you know, if we'd have gone in there and spent that kind of money to rent that kind of a building and, say, only filled at 50%, which, again, we had no way of gauging, uh, that could have spelled boom for the company at that point. So uh, the ECW ran with the was an easy uh, thing for us uh, every three weeks. We knew what we could do there. And I think from a budgeting standpoint, that lent us the, at least the notion that come the next DCW arena, we'll have X amount of dollars uh, to continue the company forward. So, you know, it would have been a huge game. In hindsight, you know, as you say, in hindsight, uh, it's always 2020. Uh, but at the time, looking forward, it was sort of a gray area. We had no idea how big our fan base was. You know, we now know from, from the history and looking back. But at the time, we had no idea if our fan base was primarily Philadelphia-based. Was it larger than that? You know, we had no idea how many people were out there trading the tapes and everything. So it would have been a hell of a gamble and one that if it didn't work out, could have spelled doom for the company. Now, this question is a part of the hashtag TTPAFA, obviously, uh, the Triple Threat Podcast, AFAS Franchise Anything. Now, this is from Broiled Sports, and I just love this question because it's such a loaded question. Shane, in your opinion, what was the worst part 
of the Dean Douglas gimmick? The worst part? Uh, the paychecks. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I, I really believe, and I still believe, that that character, as was pitched to me, uh, if I were allowed to do it, <clears throat> that <clears throat> without the constraints they were putting on me, the monotone voice, uh, you know, completely sanitizing my, you know, my fiery rhetoric and promos, um, that if I were allowed to do that, and then it would have found, uh, as a heel, would have gotten the heat required to draw money, um, and would have achieved, I think, at least in part, uh, of what Vince's original intention was, you know, to you know get the boys to stop making those uh, mistakes we all make when we get lazy or aren't thinking about it in the ring, uh, in the turnbuckle, hands up on the uh, on the ropes when they're being punched in the stomach. Uh, only great binding the leg when, you know, when it's a real finish, uh, you know, not a falsy. Um, you know, little things like that, that, that was the original reason that Vince pitched the character to me. Uh, he told me that he wanted to have somebody that had legitimacy enough that he could do that. Um, and, you know, I don't think that at the time he, he had cut it through all the way that, you know, with some of the prima donnas that they had there that, you know, how dare you tell me what I'm going wrong with my match? Uh, you know, it's, you know, but all those things, you know, Vince being the boss, if Vince would have said, you know, go to hell, this is what I want, and this is what it's going to be, and then allowed me to do it and execute it, I have no doubt the character would have worked. And it's funny, I don't, you know, I don't know if the uh, fans are just forgetting as time goes on uh, how truly bad the character was uh, and the way it was laid out and portrayed. Uh, but I, you know, I hear more and more fans saying to me, you know, how much they, you know, liked the character at the time and wish they would have been able to, to, to run its course to see what have gone, what have gone. Uh, you know, of course, I've, I've got very negative memories of the character based primarily on those paychecks. But, you know, I, I still remember whenever I left that, you know, I didn't want to leave ECW. That, you know, that was the one constant. Uh, but, you know, when you keep getting to like Jim Mustard saying, you know, sometimes opportunity only knocks once and it's your time, kid, that kind of stuff. And, you, you, know, you, you know, you try to take a step back and look down into your crystal ball into what the future holds. And, you know, for me at that time, you know, just starting to uh, try to start a family. And, you know, I, that was my primary reason for leaving. ECW, but you know, if I would have been able to uh, stay in ECW and and uh, you know keep that character in place, and I would have never left. Uh, and, and, and I say, wish I never had. Uh, but what it did was it recharged my battery. So when I got back to ECW, that six months away, a made me realize how much I missed on my home, but also. Know, how much fun I missed having. You know, it was, it was such a relief, like, like Wizard of Oz, right? Uh, you know, no place like home, there's no place like home. Uh, you know, there, in my case, that two words were never spoken. The first day I stepped back in to ECW, I didn't work that night. I was just at the show at Lost Italian Hall in Queens. And 
you know, just watching the show, I was like a giddy kid, you know, on Christmas morning. Uh, you know, I was home. There had been massive changes made to the company when I was gone. Uh, you know, the Dunners coming in, the Eliminators coming in, uh, you know, Shannon having the belt. I mean, there were a lot of changes that were very different from what the ECW had left. And but being back there, being home, uh, feeling the energy and the vibe in the building, uh, that was only made possible by the fact that I had that worst six months of my entire career uh, in WWF and then coming back. So, you know, it's like, you know, like, uh, you know, so often it's true in life of the yin and the yang. Uh, you know, so there's the good side of it, the bad side of it, right? And I stick by my comment earlier that I have no doubt the character would have worked if he allowed me to execute it the way that he originally pitched it to me and the way that I had envisioned the character in my head. This question comes in from Christopher Martin via Twitter. He's a good friend of the show. He says, I was a big fan of XPW, and I feel it had a ton of potential on future episodes of the Triple Threat Pod. Hopefully you will be able to discuss your experiences in XPW and why things turned out the way he did. But for this show, uh, he was wondering your memories on the Golden Dome show Golden Dome show, excuse me, back in Pittsburgh in, in 2003 when you faced none other than just incredible our boy PJ. Uh, we had, you know, first of all, it's my, in my backyard, right? So it's, it's you know, literally going home. Uh, and, you know, the site of the, the 97 November November pay-per-view, uh, there were a lot of great memories in that building. Uh, Pittsburgh is a wrestling town, always has been. Uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up, long before the Penguins got good, uh, when they were still wearing the blue and uh, white, uh, and were just god awful, you know, nobody really followed hockey. In, in, in Pittsburgh, it was the Steelers, the Pirates, and Bruno San Martino. So uh, it always made sense to me, going back to ECW, that you know, Pittsburgh would be a great market for us, and it turned out to be that. Um, taking XPW, when I was booking at XPW then, uh, taking it to Pittsburgh just seemed to be a no-brainer. You know, we'd already done multiple shows in Philadelphia that drew very well, uh, very strong houses, and it seemed to me that, you know, now that we had you know, done, we had Los Angeles, we now had Philadelphia, it was now to start moving into the country's interior, and Pittsburgh seemed to be much like it was in the uh, back in the uh, uh, horse and buggy cowboy days. Pittsburgh was a jumping off point to the West, and uh, it seemed to me to be the next logical step. And I uh, drew very good houses here in Pittsburgh. And working with PJ there, it's just, there were so many cross references to ECW, uh, toward telling the by running ECW, PJ and I had. Uh, what many consider to be a damn good match, uh, me included. Uh, we had a really good chemistry, and PJ was really hot at the time. Uh, so, you know, going into Pittsburgh, uh, whereas I would play heel in other places, uh, going into Pittsburgh, it, it made perfect sense to have a, a, a good heel that the fans were well acquainted with, that there was so much history between the two of our careers in ECW and WWF, and uh, now coming back to Pittsburgh and uh, playing that, that babyface role as the franchise, 
again, somebody just incredible babies made perfect sense. It was a, it was a no brainer for us. This question comes in from a Christopher Sapp. It says, Shane, besides yourself, who could you see as the guy to throw down the NWA title and become the franchise? Uh, well, it's, you know, that's a hard question to answer because you know, the, the, the character itself, I think, was, is so embodied the the entire NWA belt throwdown. And I think that's why Paul gave that option to me. Uh, then. You know, say any of the other talented wrestlers he had in his wrestling room. Um, I think he knew that whoever was going to do that spot had to really be able to deliver uh, the promo that would wrap it all together. You know, that, that would take that long night of tournament and, you know, cap it off with this match. And then this, you know, this incredibly uh, subversive move of throwing the belt down now needs to be explained. And it had to be done in a way that uh, uh, wasn't just a wrestling promo; it was an explanation. Uh, it was us telling the world that you know this is the path we're choosing. You know, so there were a lot of moving parts into that. I had to go into that promo, and you know, I, I've never thought of it. There wasn't one moment I thought about that, other you know, prior to the, the uh, delivery of the promo, other than trying to remember all the NWA champions I wanted to mention. Um, you know, because I was really concerned that they would think, you know, the Ricky Steamboats and the Dusty Roses and the, you know, Terry and Dory Funks and the Briscoes and, you know, Tezzes and all those guys that I really hardly race and all the guys that I, you know, had so much envy for. I didn't want them to think that I was shitting on them. So that was the only thing I thought of as far as promo goes before that. Uh, as far as talent-wise, you know, I think we had a dressing room full of people that could have uh, could have done that. Um, you know, Taz, who hadn't yet, you know, hit his stride with those promos, was certainly capable of doing all those things. Um, you know, I think Sabu would have been a, a you know, one of those holy shit characters uh, that are placed into there. Uh, but I don't see anybody in that dressing room that really embodied, you know, a, a franchise character. You know, the, you know, the franchise character, you know, take a step back and I'll talk about it in the third person. Um, it had to be somebody that had, you know, a, a long history in the business, uh, a successful one in the business. Uh, wasn't just, hey, some guy getting called up from the minor leagues and now getting thrust into, you know, this top spot. Um, you know, and the fact that I was one of the few people in the dressing room that had national exposure and you know, national exposure in a main event way prior to that, and then had to be able to deliver the matches. I had to be able to deliver the character that could carry those matches uh, and then embody what was going to happen at the end of the night if we did intend to throw the belt down. Because remember, through the course of the night, there was no written in stone. It wasn't like, hey, I'm absolutely going to do it. And even after all the bullshit with coolers at the building that day, in my head, I kept, there were little pangs of guilt. Like, ah, shit, I, I wouldn't, the fans might not think, you know, see it the right way. Uh, I don't want the people I mentioned to really think I was shitting on their legacies. 
Yeah, so there was a lot of back-and-forth consternation on my part uh, until, you know, after those three long, hard passes in a brutally hot building, I looked over and saw Fort Lugo's face, and it just sort of coalesced everything to me. And then, like I said there a million times before, and when I said, here we go, Dad, that was the first time in my life that the light bulb went on for that saying my dad had told me throughout my life. He's been walking the feet on the ground like everybody else or so over the eagles. And uh, first time I ever really got it. And, you know, so I think Paul, looking at that, knew that if you're going to have a character called the franchise, it's got to be legitimate. You can't just take a guy and throw black and gold tights on him and say, okay, poof, you're now a franchise. Uh, you know, you flare it so many times, seven photos. To beat a man, you got to beat the man, right? And, uh, you know, his, his character oozed all that. If you put Rick Flair on the screen and didn't say a word, have him say a word, you could, you could hear all those phrases in the background. Uh, the character that would become the franchise had to have that same kind of vibe, but in a different way. This is why I didn't wear the suits and, you know, drive limousines every place, that kind of stuff. You know, it, it would have been too Flair-esque. And so we had to try to find a way to create a character that embodied similar traits in a different vein. And I don't see anybody in that dressing room at that time that could have. Like, you know, Taz wasn't a franchise-type character. He was a very different, very equal type character, counterbalance, if you will, to the franchise. And so I don't know if there's anybody else in that dressing room at that time that could have carried that on. I mean, Paul could have literally put the franchise name on anybody, uh, but would they have been able to pull together all those pieces, you know, the, the history in the ring, the successful history of having been a prior main eventer, uh, and, and just having been not so long before you know, having those hour-long matches with Steamboat, uh, Ricky, and I mean, uh, uh, Brian and Steve, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, Shane Douglas was still relatively uh, in the forethoughts of wrestling fans. It wasn't like this was a guy, hey, I forgot all about him. I wonder where he's been. Uh, because I had just come off not too long before that run with uh, Steamer and, and, and Brian and Steve. So, you know, there were a lot of factors, I think, that into that, uh, Paul's never told me that, but I, I can only imagine, you know, from having booked and, and you know created characters, what I would have been looking for in, in somebody to put that kind of a, a name on it. You know, and to finalize the, uh, the, the final point of it is the franchise name, the moniker, was in '93. It was when the NFL first started delineating a franchise player for each team. And typically at that time, that's become more of a contractual thing now. But at that time, it usually was like the star player on the team, the, the stud of the team. And, you know, that's where I think Paul got the end. You know, knew that if he was going to give it to somebody, he's going to have to have somebody that it's not a work. Uh, it's, you know, it's not some kid that's been underneath God for years and now we're thrust him into the main event. But, you know, I, I had all those things that I think would be required to legitimize a name like the franchise. David Holmes at Granger for Life 19 on Twitter wrote, Shane, since you're one of the greatest ever on the mic, I'm curious to who would be in your top three of the greatest on the mic. Uh, 
the guy that's sitting over in the corner ain't saying a word to anybody that's sitting there quietly drinking his beer and looks across the bar and gives you that look. That's the, that's the salty dude. That's the dudes are going to have problems with. And, you know, so I was never a big fan of yelling and screaming. Uh, of it, you know, starts off yelling and screaming, continues to yell and scream, and finishes by yelling and screaming. Uh, much like I like a, a story being told in my matches, I like my promos uh, to do the same thing. I want them to make me think. Uh, I want them to think that it's, you know, sort of giving me like a movie in my head as they're talking. And, you know, those guys I mentioned uh, all were able to do that. And I was always a fan of listening to the promos of all those guys. From B. Foats Jr., this is via Twitter. Who would you consider to be the top three up-and-coming indie workers right now, and what advice would you give to them? Wow. <laughs> there, there are so many guys out there. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you, go, you go through times and you'll stop and think, like, ah, there's, you know, there's not as much talent as there used to be. And, uh, then you get out there on the road and you start to see Every night I hit, there are two, three guys that have something. You know, maybe diamonds in the rough. Some are much more polished than others. Uh, but I think what's happened, the reason you have that thought that I, I said a second ago that there's much talent there used to be is because that talent isn't in territories where it's being showcased. You know, you could be a star in Tulsa, Oklahoma with Bill Watts in that territory and never have been seen in New York City yet. But, you know, you're still reading magazines and, you know, and that built an anticipation. You know, so I think in that case, like the kids today in the business that are out in the scene don't have that luxury. And so it's easy to, to, to not think about somebody you've never seen. You might have heard their name, uh, seen a clip online or something, until you're on a show with them. You know, and, I, and I've been really pleasantly surprised over the last couple of years of, you know, several of the people I've worked with, you know, chance to work with, and the others that I've been able to watch on the shows, and you see that there are a, a shitload of young talent out there that are stars in waiting. And it's got to wait for the time. That's why I think it's so great because, you know, AEW getting the ball rolling now, and, you know, hopefully... Uh, the ensuing competition between AEW and WWE, like I said, rises all the ships, and and we see, you know, truth be known, I want to see TNA, Ring of Honor, uh, smaller independent promotions. I want to see everybody get on again because it gives all the boys a chance uh, at better paydays. It gives the fans a better chance to see a much wider latitude of talent. Um, you know, as far as the indie guy, like one of the guys that he got on AEW, that I've been a big fan of for several years is Scorpio Sky. Uh, why this kid hasn't been grabbed up by uh, WWE or TNA or Ring of Honor, one of them, uh, prior to you know, one of those head scratches to me. Um, you know, there, there are, uh, you know, one of the step back to them. One, one of the things I find is I hate when I hear a ton of buzz on somebody, you know, because, you know, like 
fans have to, I hope, understand. <clears throat> when you say to me a five-star match, like I've seen very few five-star matches in my career, or, you know, in my life as a fan or in the, in the business. To me, a five-star match means pretty much perfect. Uh, you know, so when I hear fans clamoring about, you know, Joe Schmo, the, the hardest kid on the independent theater, have you seen this kid Joe Schmo and he's phenomenal? Uh, wait till you see this kid Joe Schmo, he, he's going to knock your socks off. That it's almost unfair to Joe Schmo because, you know, he's been built up or she's been built up to a degree that they can't possibly live up to. And nine times out of ten when I see these people that have put over in such a strong way to me, uh, you know, I, instead of seeing what attributes they have, I, I start to see their weaknesses because the way it's been put over to me, I'm expecting this kid to be all that in a bag of chips, you know, to be ready for the main event, to be ready to step right into that spot and go. And, you know, so it starts to make it sound fair, you know, comparison for me to make. But when I hear that kind of magnanimous buildup, and then they go to the ring, two seconds in, you see them turning their back on their opponent. Uh, you know, why? Because they got to do a promo. And they got the mic in their hand, they're going to turn around and say, you know, as soon as they do that, never been taught that they shouldn't do that. But as soon as I see that, I'm thinking, okay, they're not as great as everybody said they were. Because a great would never do that, uh, you know. So I hate when I hear that that, that huge pre-build-up before I see somebody. Uh, but you know, you look at a lot of the kids. You know, back to the question. You look at a lot of the kids that are in AEW now. You know, not just too long ago, most of them were scratching their claw on the independent scene, and now they've gotten themselves a promotion that started. You know, they, I don't care how much money you have. Uh, in this case, how much money Tony Khan has. Uh, you have to eventually have the talent and the ring that can fill that card up, can allow your writers, the booker, whoever it's going to be, to create that storyline that moves week to week, event to event, pay-per-view to pay-per-view. And, you know, to do that, you've got to have somebody that's got goods to deliver the goods. Uh, you know, so... You know, now that they have that place and they've got somebody with deep pockets and the resources to do it properly, you know, I think you're going to see that. How many times have I said on this podcast, imagine what these kids could do if they were put under the same type of treatments that we were put under when we were young and green and hadn't yet made it. Uh, you know, and that dressing room, you know, you're going to have guys like Dustin, uh, Jericho, uh, in the back, a lot of other guys, Billy Gunn, Dean Malenko, involved uh, Jerry Lynn. So there's a lot of sage there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really eager to see if these kids can tone down the spot monkey stuff and craft those spots that they're the credible jaw-dropping spots they can do in a uh, package that makes sense and builds to it, builds the anticipation to it. Not like, hey, let's just go out and bomb up 900 moves because we can uh, to do it in a fashion that draws those fans a little bit closer to the edge of their seat and their heart beating just a little bit faster because they know that move's coming, but ah, damn it, he just cut, got cut off. Okay, here it comes again. I'm getting excited again. My heart, heart beats raising up. I'm moving it to the edge of my seat. And ah, god damn it, they cut him off again. 
you know, do that multiple times and hit that jaw-dropping stuff. Much different than hit that jaw-dropping stuff from the time the bell sounds. You know, and your guy that you just took on a few weeks ago, MJF, was a real standout on the AEW pay-per-view. He had a uh, a great showing in the Battle Royal. It was really one of the only yeah. good parts of the Battle Royal. And a promo uh, that basically stole the show if it wasn't for the Cody <laughs> and Dustin match. It was uh, it was damn good. So there you go. There's MJF. You just wrestled him three weeks ago. I'm telling you, he, he impressed me when we worked with him. Uh, his timing, uh, his, uh, he was smooth, uh, you know, not choppy at all. Um, worked hard to make it all make sense. You know, at you know, the old saying is it takes two to tango, right? It takes two to dance. And so, you know, you've got to, in your match, not only get yourself over, not only get the match over, but you're also going to help get your opponent over. And if both guys are doing that, and both guys are working to get the match over and their opponent over and themselves over, everybody's working in the right direction. And that kid really impressed me. First of all, I've been on shows with him before. Uh, most times in the role of a manager, uh, always was impressed by his promos. Uh, you could tell he put thought into it. It wasn't just having to go out here and say these, you know, four or five taglines and, and, and get out. Uh, he made it make sense. He knew that when I worked with him. So it doesn't surprise me he did the same thing there. I mean, you could tell this kid's got the goods. Now he needs a platform where to deliver those goods. Uh, and I can't think of a better place for him than a new promotion uh, that's going to be on national television. I think he's going to become a big star. You watch. And let's give a plug to uh, Francine's YouTube page where she has graciously uploaded both matches that you had the weekend that you guys reunited in, uh, what was it, in uh, Ohio and Wisconsin or Illinois and Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Right, so you guys uh, back in the ring together. And uh, Francine has both of them recorded and on her YouTube channel. So you could see Shane versus MJF. And then the kid that you took on the next night, I thought his promo was actually pretty damn good <laughs> before the match started. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, you know, two great brawls. So if you want to check those out, please go visit Francine's YouTube page. Uh, not only does she give you some live video, but she's taping stuff while she's on the road. And you get to see these two uh, matches of, uh, of Shane. So let's wrap it up here with one more. We're, we're getting to the end, and we got a well, lot of stuff to cut. Oh, what are you going to say? Well, real quick, real quick let, me, uh, let me just throw one thing about the kid from the, the Wisconsin show. Get a chance, watch the match, listen to his promo, then just Google his name. Uh, he's a veteran, uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Armed Forces. I think I think Army. I may be wrong. I might be Marine, but I think Army. Uh, he had been shot in the face. Oh boy! Uh, it was hit with a sniper bullet in the face, and like when he was telling me the story, me and Francine, we're like our eyeballs are like like saucers. Like listening to this kid's <laughs> story is incredible, and what a nice kid. Honestly, what a great, great, gracious, uh, humble kid. Uh, but he reminded me very much of an old school heel. And it was so easy to work with and play off of because of that. So, uh, everybody listening, please go watch that match on Franny's uh, YouTube channel. And then Google this kid and, and read his story. Because uh, I'm getting like goosebumps even talking about it. 
it's an incredible, incredible story. Uh, that great to see the kid uh, in the ring, you know, do any hell. I'm getting shot in the head, uh, you know, and with a sniper's bullet and surviving that, and now being able to do what he's doing, man, you know, down on my knees and giving him the sad blue bow, right? I mean, that's <laughs> impressive, and, you know, what a good, good kid. Yeah, and his name's Ben McCoy. I just looked him up, and if you want to check him out on Twitter, it's at Ben McCoy825. You can see all the uh, the Armed Forces uh, logos that he's got throughout his page, and uh, yeah, check that match out. Hey, he might have dodged, uh, he might have been dodging sniper bullets, but he sure as hell, <laughs> sure as hell ate a belly to belly, so uh, he couldn't get out of the way of the franchise. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up here. Yeah, we get... what, a, what, a, what an impressive kid. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, check out that match. So let's wrap it up. We got one more here. It's just kind of funny because yeah, the the question kind of peters off into something else. But uh, it's Travis Smith, a.k.a. Too Sweet 4285. It says, Shane Douglas versus Kurt Angle. I fantasy booked these two together and against each other so many times. I'd love to see it happen. Dot, dot, dot. That wasn't the question. Did Shane ever find his gear after working in Chickatee, Ohio? <laughs> did, did Shane ever find his... Your, your gear bag that was stolen out of the back of the car. A what? <laughs> your gear bag that was stolen no. a few weeks ago. <laughs> no. I, I, no. Yeah, no, I, I've not found it. I, I've been watching on, you, uh, on uh, eBay. Uh, you know, I've I'm so busy like, through the course of like, I got up at 4.30 and running ever since. Uh, you know, a million things we've done during the day, but you know, four or five times that I've gone on and checked on them and I've seen nothing. So I, I know where, where it got taken out of the car. The only place it could have been taken out of the car. Uh, I made two stops, one at a, a speedway with cameras that they said they watched and nobody got in my car as I was gone uh, into the bathroom and stuff. And the other place was a little country store out on, I can't even tell you what road it was, but some back. I got off at 70 and took back roads all the way down into uh, 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 Circleville. And it's a little tiny place on, on the, at, a, at a fork in the roads. Uh, you know, and, and no, I haven't, haven't seen it. Haven't seen anything uh, or even any discussion of it. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if the person that still wasn't just some kid that grabbed the dude that he had and just threw it in the dumpster or something somewhere. But if anybody comes across the bag with uh, gold and black boots, uh, you, know, uh, you know, please hit me up as a reward if somebody can get that stuff back to me. Uh, you know, those are, uh, those boots being lost, those boots are Russell Terry Funkin. Uh, you, you know, it's a lot, a lot of pretty cool stuff. It'd be a hell of a reward for somebody didn't get that back to me so no i have not found it and hopefully somebody comes across it somewhere yeah yeah that's uh that's still it's just such a shame and everybody please keep your eyes peeled if you see something like that pop up you see so many crimes solved that way in this day and age where uh all you gotta do is just keep your eyes open while you're scrolling while you're checking out stuff whether it's on facebook or facebook marketplace or craigslist or ebay there's so many different places where stuff like that could end up. And, you know, <laughs> if Shane sees it, he's going to know what it is. So keep your eyes peeled. If you see something, say something. Yeah. And please hand deliver whatever evidence you have to uh, to the franchise. And we'll uh, we'll take care of a little triple threat podcast business. We Hey, 
Bam Bam might be gone, but you got two guys from Jersey here that'll take care of it, just like Bam Bam and Candido did. So, you know, we'll help you out. Exactly. But look, as we're going to wrap it up here, we want to say again, this is going to be the last episode that's on the two man power trip of wrestling iTunes podcasting feed that we upload via Podomatic.com. That is going to be, there's still going to be episodes on there, but that is not going to have any new episodes right now. If you want to listen to the Triple Threat podcast going forward, you have to sign up to the Russo brand on the Realm Network, and you can get all of the subscription information at russosbrand.com. It's $3.95 a month. It's less than a dollar a week. Not only can you get the podcast in audio format, you can get it in video format, and that is going to be our next step growing forward. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like I said at the beginning of this, John and I tested it earlier. It looks awesome. It sounds awesome. It's going to add such a, a great dimension to the show. And uh, Shane, you know we, you know how excited we all are to do this. So we're we're just around the corner. It's going to happen with the next episode, episode ninety five. So we'll get into the video feed, Russo's brand, the Realm Network, all of the great Vince Russo content that you can handle, whether it's lion t- Lions, Tigers, Bears, and Dirt, Castrating the Marks, which is like, Shane, if you don't know about Castrating the Marks, it is uh, it is quite the show. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, Castrating the Marks, you yeah, get that. <laughs> you get that with a subscription. You also get a Raw and SmackDown review featuring Vince, Stevie Richards, and Bin Hameen. Uh, there's a lot of content. Again, Goldilocks has a show on here, Shane. So there's people that you have had links to throughout your career that are on the brand, on the Realm Network, and we are going to be joining the fray and cannot wait to introduce the video. One more show until we do that, Shane. Looking forward to it. And I promise next week we're on video. I will get the rulers out of my hair, and I will get the black and gold out and put the pink house coat away before... uh... Well, in the meantime, if you want to reach out to the show, please do so on Twitter at the franchise SD at two man power trip at wrestling pal. Or if you want to hit the show up, it's at the three threat pod. If you want to get your hands on a franchise Shane Douglas t-shirt, head on over to pro wrestling slash the franchise SD. You get the classic black and gold franchise logo, as well as some of the really creative shirts that they've got. I mean, I have a wardrobe and so does John of franchise shirts that we could wear every single day of the week. And you could be just like us. If you do that, as well as a triple threat podcast shirt that's on there, everything that you do supports the triple threat podcast, especially with this move over to the brand. So now Shane, with all that being said, what's going on in the world of the franchise? You jet set it across the country. You're back in Pittsburgh. So where's the franchise off to next? And this weekend, the big legends of the ring, I want to make a note, uh, the last two or three times we've been there, we've had a ton of people uh, that wanted to buy T-shirts, and we hadn't taken them. Just got a great big uh, order in of the triple threat shirts, the franchise shirts, uh, and both black and gold. So legends of the ring on Saturday in Monroe, New Jersey. Uh, we will have them. And then that evening, and also Dominic Danucci will be with us uh, he was supposed to be in Richmond, uh, had a little bit of a health scare. Thankfully, was nothing. Uh, uh, was a lot less serious than we originally thought. Uh, that's why it was not in Richmond uh, for the TNTT Con 3. 
but he will be in Monroe, uh, New Jersey, uh, Legends of the Ring this Saturday, and then Saturday evening we will be in Pottstown and uh, Battle of the Shames. I'll be taking on Shane Taylor there uh, and send a little business from the last time. So uh, looking for a big, big weekend. And uh, for anybody out there that uh, last time in Pottstown wanted a T-shirt or Legends of the Ring, uh, uh, Ring Convention, we'll have those shirts in stock this weekend. Yeah, and before I want to wrap it up, since we're going to be going on to the brand, this is something that I just want to start throwing out there too. Hey, John, before we wrap it up, what do we have going on in the world of the two-man power trip of wrestling now that we'll be departing from the iTunes feed if anybody wants to take a listen to uh, to our show, the two-man power trip? Oh, man, we have so much coming up. Episode 400 we have coming up with a huge monumental guest who will be returning and he's got some awesome, awesome stuff that he's got going on in his uh, career and some great stories. Obviously, we got the Dusty Tribute episode coming up. And we have two of the most rare interview guests you can get. And they're all coming up very, very soon on the two-man Power Trip of Wrestling feed. You see? You see what you get when you support the two-man Power Trip and the Triple Threat podcast? You get the best... You want it, you got it, and that's what you got with us. So we appreciate you taking a listen here. We are looking forward to being on video next week as part of the brand subscription and uh, hope to see everybody there. Literally, we get to see you. That's going to be uh, fantastic. Right? You, you at least get to see us. So, Shane, I'm going to hand it over to you. I will not see you guys this weekend. You and JP will be in New Jersey. I will be uh, down in beautiful Virginia. But uh, I hope to see you. Yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? I'm the heel this week. I hope to see you guys soon, but enjoy. And Shane, take us out in only the way the franchise can. Hey, 95 big episodes is all the franchise and the Triple Threat podcast can do. Ending of one era and starting a new one next week. I promise the curlers will get put away and the black and gold will be out on video. Vince Russo is the brand on the Realm Network. Make sure you tune in next week or get your ass franchise. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.